Hello and welcome. You've been added to the group chat, a space where we speak to women in their 20s and 30s and learn from their stories as we demystify certain concepts, find assurance and inspiration for our own journeys forward. Join me, Sheshadriko Tiarachi, as we speak to women about their personal and professional experiences and find inspiration and hope in this group chat. Hello, and thank you so much for joining us. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the reality of being an overachiever. Now, this is a bit of a dubious classification. It's very difficult to define who an overachiever is. It depends on a multitude of factors, including your age, your capacity, the skill sets you are, and how you define what success and achievement really is. It also depends on the kind of work that you do and your focus areas. Today's guest has many focus areas that she's extremely successful in. She is a good debater, a brilliant dancer, a good basketball player, and an absolute star when it comes to academics. And this is why I'm very, very proud to introduce my cousin, Ashani Kotege, who I think I may have forced out of bed on the day when she would have much rather been in bed. But hey, um, she's my cousin. I'm allowed to do that. So hi, Ashani. How's it going? It's all right. I would have woken up anyway, I think. (laughs) Sure. But either way, thanks for sacrificing your sleep schedule for me. Um, Today's conversation, I thought we'd focus on overachieving, which Ashani is very good at. And I'm not just saying this because I've known her all my life, but she is very good at this. And imposter syndrome, which is something in many ways goes hand in hand. And there's no better person I could reach out than to you. So if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, Ashani, for those of you who are listening in. Okay. Um, So I am in my last year of my undergraduate education at Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. I am majoring in science, technology, and international affairs, which is a bloody mouthful, <laughs> and minoring in theater and performance studies. So I'm academically really interested in that intersection of science and art and communicating things in different ways. Um, and I'm excited to chat today. <laughs> On a more serious note, because I don't think we've ever had serious conversations unless one of us was in a crisis, of which there have been many. (laughs) But uh, this is probably the most serious uh, official quote-unquote conversation we've had. So in terms of overachieving, I don't feel like anyone would sort of reach out for that hat and wear it because, for one thing, it seems a little immodest. But you know you're an overachiever. I don't have to say it. A lot of people have said it to you over the years. Do you see yourself as one or are you deluded? (laughs) Um, I I definitely do identify with the term overachiever. It's something that I found, as you said, people have placed it upon me, but it's also something I found helpful to embrace because it helps me describe different situations that I find myself in, like major, major burnout. Um, So yeah, I think from a very young age, I think what went beyond just achieving and the overachieving part of it is what what was at um, 
the cost of the achieving um, and how high that was. And nothing I can do if that was from a really young age. I was barely sleeping, barely eating, barely socializing um, as much as my peers were. And it wasn't just in one field, you know, it was in academics, in sports, in performance, in like, professional life, and uh, like all MUN debating. Anything I could get my hands on, I wanted to do and I wanted to be the best at. Uh, which was really, really exhausting. And looking back, I, I'm grateful for all the experiences that I've had and all the skills that I've obtained, the people that I've met. Um, but I wish I had some more sleep <laughs> and that I lived a little bit of a healthier life and invested in maybe people and relationships more growing up. Uh, but I've definitely evolved a little bit from that now. I feel like you were constantly doing something whenever we hung out you were either prepping for MUN or you had basketball practice or you had exams I remember seeing you study because you used to spend Aurudu at our place oh and yeah you'd just sit in my room and I'd just see you super focused studying multiple things and it wouldn't be I wouldn't classify that as normal per se because you obviously put 200 if not 500 percent into it but what kind of leads an individual to want to embrace so many things at once? Um, I think one thing is that I've just been blessed to have a keen interest in everything. I've been a very, very curious person since I was young. Um, and I feel, and I'm also very competitive. So just anything that's competitive, I enjoy doing. So, you know, MUN, debating, sports, even academics, I was always, um, competing both against myself and my peers and like how I performed last year and whatever, things like that. <clears throat> and I think it was also because of um, like the, the lack of, I don't know if traditional is the right word, but I mean, I guess you're more familiar with this than anyone would be in terms of like the family unit. Um, you know, the, the chaos at home meant that I would find, try to find order elsewhere and try to also find distraction elsewhere. Um, so I was just constantly throwing myself into other things. So both because I was interested in stuff, which I'm grateful for. And again, I was good at things. I was able to pick things up fairly quickly. Um, but also it was survival. Um, it would help me cope with all sorts of other stuff because I hadn't learned healthy yeah, I hadn't even learned about mental health at this point, you know, when I was in school. Yeah. Um, so I would literally work my way out of any emotional breakdown. That's interesting. I also sort of feel like the overachiever stereotype, and we'll try not to stick to stereotypes because, you know, they, they ebb and flow depending on the individual. The typical overachiever is often pushed to that point because of family, because there's this expectation that you need to do well to succeed in, in whichever field you're working in. And I don't necessarily think that you or either one of us really had that major push from family. I, I've never I've never remembered anyone being like, oh, you have to score like a perfect grade for this. Yeah, I think <clears throat> I've been thinking about this a lot recently, but I, I think you're right in that we didn't have that push, you know, like Ami and Aya would even just be like, take a break, man, like, you're such a nerd, <laughs> like, relax a little bit, like, go out and have fun. Um, so it was definitely in the other direction from them. But at the same time, something that I've been realizing, because I lived with 
a white family and like the more that I interact with my American friends, the culture of care in the home um, is very different where like they are constantly validated and loved and shown affection just for existing. Um, whereas I know that our parents loved us and I know my family loved me, but I was only given attention or spoken to in a respectful manner when I achieved. Um, okay. So it, was, it wasn't that they were pushing me to achieve, but the only time that we had any interaction or any, you know, any validation or any affection was when I was achieving. So <clears throat> a, a little bit different from being pushed in like a tiger mouth way. Definitely. And that's not to say that, I mean, disclaimer to everyone listening in, we have lovely families, you know, they're, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're weird in their own way. They have their quirks and, you know, we've been embarrassed by the things they do <clears throat> more, more than once. But um, I think that's interesting because in, in some ways it's because you want to compensate for something, right? And I guess that depends on the experiences you've had. Did you peak in high school though? Do you feel like you peaked in high school? Uh, I think I thought I did just because uh, like materialistically I did, you know, I had whatever, like 10 A stars and you know, I had won five best delegates and I was on the world team for the So I thought when I graduated high school, that was it. And I knew everything and I had achieved everything I needed to achieve. But then when I came to college, I realized <clears throat> there's so much more to go and also I really altered how I was looking at peaking or how I was looking at being successful I realized you know especially this like theater and art side of what I didn't get to explore much when I was back at home um like finding that niche you know like the science and art thing is quite a bit of a niche like finding that niche and really like being innovative meeting people connecting with people like that the, the connections that I've been able to form here, I, I consider that peaking and like, I'm, I'm yet to do it. You know, I, I'm, I'm still very aspirational. Um, yeah, I, I thought I had peaked in high school, but now I'm realizing I did not. <laughs> I'm going to make an assumption here and it is that I think perhaps location and environment also matters. Um, and it's going back for a little bit, I recently, my biggest flex has been that I get eight hours of sleep every day. Um, I mean, barring jet lag, but that is that is something that I consider peaking if you're able to balance your life in a way where you get that sleep anyway. Um, with my social life, yeah, I think that, that that was an additional thing that I was really intentional about where I, as I said, like, I wanted to show that I could do it all, like quite literally all of it. So... And so when I was in school, you know, I would have, let's say, like basketball in the morning, then school, then like dance practice, then MUN, then whatever, whatever, whatever. I'd like get home at like 11 p.m. And I would like still try to go out. I mean, I had a curfew at night because of that. But the equivalent of 11 p.m. <laughs> um, I would either like have people over because I love to vote or I would, you know, go out with my friends whatever um and that, that is also something I was intentional about and it's something that helped me set benchmarks for myself so I would say okay I have to get all of this work done because I do want to go out um but it came at the cost of alone time like I didn't know I didn't learn until the pandemic hit like how to spend time by myself because I was constantly around other people either in an academic or professional setting or in a social setting and I am very like naturally extroverted, which meant that I really, really struggle with being by myself 
taking time off even when i take time off it'll be with other people you know either go to a party or go on a yeah. trip or something but yeah i've i've been trying really hard over the last one and a half years to learn how to be okay spending time by myself how to be intentional about it like schedule alone time um and actually be alone and actually be free so i i think that was the biggest cost of the social life that self awareness during your colleges and i'm i'm just saying this to you um based on my experience is incredible so please do keep that going because i don't think i don't think i know too many people around my age group who and we have a fairly large age gap between each other but i can't think of too many people who were in college around the same time i was who had that sort of self awareness where they kind of tell themselves we need alone time in the midst of all the fun and the activities that happened during college speaking of georgetown and this is perhaps a slightly serious and a bit more sensitive topic i guess i remember your first year when you know you arrived and i feel like we were texting back and forth about just how things are and whether you've settled and whether you've taken enough chili paste with you and like things like that <laughs> but and i'm definitely seeing a very different person to the person you were then obviously with all this self awareness and growth but you were definitely deteriorating and i felt through our conversations it was because you were trying to apply the same things you did back at home in college and somehow that just didn't work it's completely different environments and that's so ironic because you think oh once i go to college this is where i really need to start you know showing what i'm capable of doing right that's the that's the that's the mindset what what happened there um i think one of the biggest i think the trigger to that crisis that i had first year was um i so i'm in the school of foreign service so we have to be orally proficient in a foreign language by the time we graduate and i picked mandarin which i had never done before even though i had done like 10 years of french i didn't want to do french i i wanted to do mandarin um and that class was really really hard i was in an in an intensive class the professor honestly wasn't great everyone else in the class had some experience with mandarin so i was way behind and i was just struggling so so much and i knew if i wanted to succeed at this class and actually continue to take mandarin to achieve proficiency i would have to put in so much work for this one class right um and then i just thought why am i doing this you know like i don't have any particular interest in working in china or working with um like in chinese foreign policy or whatever and even if i did why why is this the environment that i have to learn it in um and you know i i love french i was good at it i could pick up a little bit ahead of you know where in comparison to mandarin so that's like that realization was big that you don't always have to put yourself at ground zero you know it's okay to start with some experience it's okay to do something easy it's okay to drop a class and like pick another one that you oh like oh my god the horror honey how you know the family you failed the family ashani <laughs> i know i was like geez this is you know this is going to be my legacy i dropped a class freshman imagine <laughs> um, explaining that to everyone back at home just oh i just wanted to like take a minute and just explain that <laughs> i could not i could not um so yeah so that that was really really big for me to just mm-hmm. make a choice to start doing what i loved um and i think another example of that was i had just competed at world schools 
um, ten days before I arrived at Georgetown, and work was incredibly stressful. You know, we were training for about seven to eight hours a day. I was also one of the only members of the team who was in my final year of school. So I was doing my A levels. I was applying to colleges. The stakes were so high. I was like deputy at school, so I had to be at school, whereas others didn't really have to go to school. Yeah. Um, and I realized like when I got to Georgetown, I'm tired of competing. Um, I just wanted to do something that's non-competitive, but still around people and still stimulating, which is why I went and auditioned for shows. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. being okay with those changes to say, okay, I used to be an incredibly competitive person who loved that stressful environment, but I'm not anymore. And I'm choosing a different path and yeah. I'm going to choose things that I love doing and just learn how to market it. Like I just have gotten really, really good at convincing people that my theater background will be applicable to any job in the world which it is you know when you think yeah, about like any yeah. skill that I've picked up to perform it's just having that confidence and being strategic to argue argue for yourself and advocate for yourself um, and I am so glad that I learned that freshman year like halfway through my first year uh, because I still have friends who are taking on a hundred things and burning out in a hundred different ways um, and you know, and they don't really necessarily enjoy what they're doing because I love every single thing that I have done. Um, and again, like what you said about the environment is also so important because here, you know, once you come to college, no one's really telling you what to do, particularly in the like American liberal arts system, your entire academic and co-curricular life is up to you. Whereas in school, you know, there would be this list that's telling me I have to do this thing and like, because I've always done it and you know, someone dragging me from one end of the school saying I have to do another thing. So learning to say no and standing by that no was huge. Honestly, I love that because learning to say no is probably the most difficult thing you can do without feeling like a failure without feeling like you're inconveniencing someone because the problem here is if you are someone who does a lot and you're good at what you do and you're proving that you're good at what you do people tend to expect that of you right and sometimes they have good intentions but it may not be what's best for you and trying to create that boundary is often um you know that's that's where the challenge is speaking of challenges and this is something that we tend to bring on to ourselves and I'd like to know if this is something applicable to you given you know everything you've done have you ever felt uh like an imposter has imposter syndrome ever been an experience for you it definitely has um and just from like the start of our conversation to now I've been thinking of so many different scenarios particularly in um in a lot of the environment environments that I was in like debate or like MUN particularly and even basketball like even though I was on the girls team everything was fairly male dominated like only the men would be taken seriously um, and, and CIS had this like very weird structure where the titles were gender neutral but the recipients weren't you know like we had a head of school and a deputy head of school who for like decades the head was always a guy even though like just make it head boy and head girl you know like why are you pretending to be like gender neutral about it oh, so I, I had like that. always yeah so I had always been like a vice captain or a deputy something and it was always like secondary even though I many times felt like I was you know more qualified to be at the um, you know at the helm like lead, at the helm of leadership so I always felt like I had to do 10 times more than my peers in general, but particularly my male peers to get rewarded for what I was doing. And when you're constantly trying to prove 
to like other people that you belong and that you're right for the job or whatever i feel like you also start to question yourself and start thinking okay so maybe i am wrong like maybe i uh, am not right for the job um so i definitely had like imposter syndrome in that sense and when i think about georgetown it's so it's a predominantly white institution uh and like there's very very few people of color and there's particularly very few international students here um so i i feel imposter syndrome in that way where you know everyone wants me to be a palatable exotic indian <laughs> but i'm not which <laughs> you're not <laughs> um so yeah that that was interesting but something that i've never really experienced is imposter syndrome in the classroom um where i like i am you know a student and an academic at heart and i will have done I will have read, you know, every word of every reading and going to class with like ten questions prepared and be getting the best grades and all of that. And that is something I've never lacked confidence in. Like I will put my hand up in a class of two hundred people and say what I have to say. That was until I picked up my theater and performance studies minor because that's the field where you know it's, it's totally the skills you have to exercise are completely different. It's yeah. like active listening and like. empathy and vulnerability um which you know exercising those in a classroom is so out of left field so i definitely felt imposter syndrome in that environment as well when i was thinking of this conversation with you on you know what it is to be an overachiever and i use this definition very loosely with between the two of us because you know different people can consider them overachievers in different ways i think what the two of us are discussing here mostly is to do with academics and just sort of a professional sort of life um but it's it's by no means restricted to those fields alone but when i was sort of looking up what it is to be an overachiever and i was doing some reading i came across this really interesting paper which was written i think uh, around 1978 and it's about uh, two psych a it's by two psychologists um dr pauline arclands and suzanne imes and they were one of the first people who identified imposter syndrome as a phenomenon and they've written this brilliant paper called the imposter phenomenon in high achieving women dynamics and therapeutic intervention and ironically a lot of what they mention in this paper and disclaimer i am not a student of psychology i i can't comment on it too much other than what is written in layman's terms but what you can grasp from it is that it is among people who tend to overachieve who technically fall into the very loosely termed bracket of highly successful professional and pre-professional women and it is most definitely felt more often by women of color and women who belong to a minority uh, community who identify as such and there are a lot of psychosocial factors that contribute to this including as we've talked about so far a need to sort of prove yourself or a need to find distraction and maybe coherence in a world where there's lots of chaos this is not to say that if you are an overachiever you're definitely going to experience imposter syndrome but it is something that's also quite it's there it's it's there right and what you mentioned in terms of the inferior role that women had in your experience in school where you were always the deputy or the second you know in charge is all part of this so imposter syndrome sort of comes from that environment where you start thinking am i just not good enough the 
the like visual of your environment as well you know and that's why like, being at georgetown is particularly difficult for me because i don't see a lot of people that look like me sure. then it's like okay i clearly don't belong here you know like i'm i'm like so i'm standing out so 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 much for a reason um and i think that's that's why i've always taken it upon myself to like be loud um like in the truest sense of the word like be very loud take up space because in me taking up space i am making space for other people um inadvertently in some way i think where then people know you know people who look like me know that you know they belong in this space they belong in other spaces um you know in like almost every security council that i was in at mu and i was the only girl um and you know i like i won bd in it like three times but yeah. after that yeah and, and then there's there's also this really unique thing where people start looking at you as an exception okay like you can do it but i can't um which is you know again another problematic thing and comes from this imposter syndrome you know yeah. where okay just yes. because you have an emblem you have a symbol doesn't mean that you know you're making masters yeah. or whatever but yeah yeah it's 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 all one big it all goes hand in hand really this was this was what really impressed me you sent everyone i think a pdf of what you were doing why you weren't responding to people and what <laughs> you were doing in that time you weren't responding to people and you set these very clear I'd admit initially fairly bizarre boundaries and was that was that you sort of setting like very clear parameters and focusing on yourself and kind of in a way unlearning to be an overachiever and sort of just doing things at your own pace and without being influenced by everything around you what do you think that was a reaction to that or mm-hmm. yeah i think it it was two things it 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 was born out of a unique circumstance where i so as i said once i got to college i stopped doing this like sleep at 3 am get only 2 hours of sleep like don't skip meals nonsense like i i really really stopped and i stopped taking on too much i was very aggressively doing the saying no thing i would drop things if i didn't enjoy it cuz i also knew if, if i drop something it's not the end of the world like i go to an incredibly like elite school where there will be someone to replace me you know like it's mm. it's fine the yeah. stakes are really low um but then last spring i had accidentally kind of taken on a lot and i think that came out of the pandemic the boredom of the pandemic i was applying to things i was lucky to like get a lot of things i was interested in and out of nowhere i had a lot of shit going on um and i loved everything that i was doing So there's two things one is that i always struggled to communicate to people back home what i was doing they were, for, for like for friends and family back home they just like okay ashani is that you need doing what you usually do she's probably just yeah. studying um but i was doing really interesting stuff that i wanted to tell people about so that was one thing you know wanting to communicate and like build a community in some sense and also apologize for <laughs> trying to watch that but the other thing was exactly what you said you know taking time for myself because i was incredibly busy i was working like 12 to 15 hours a day but you know there's still a couple hours left after those 15 hours are done and i didn't want to spend that time on whatsapp or on my phone or on a phone call uh i wanted to spend that time doing face masks and painting my nails and sleeping oh, yeah. going to therapy and working out and just doing things for myself really um brilliant. and i also again it it goes back to that like figuring out new things and saying it's okay to pick up new things so i got really 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 into writing postcards um and 
You I, sent me yeah. one. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> um, and that was kind of my way to tell people, I haven't replied to your WhatsApp, but I'm thinking of you and I miss you and I love you. And um, we haven't talked, but we will. And this is my way of just saying, hi, I'm alive, I'm doing well, and I'm thinking about you. And that's always really important to me. It has gotten increasingly more important to nurture relationships. Um, you know, because at the end of the day, you can achieve all you want. Yeah. Um, and if you if you don't have your support system and if you don't have people you love loving you back and you nurturing that love, I, I feel like it's a little pointless. And that's also, again, something I realized very recently in the pandemic after that miserable breakup. <laughs> oh, gosh, the things you've been through. What would you... What kind of advice would you give to somebody who's, you know, just starting their career? It doesn't have to be someone in high school. It could be anyone at any point in their lives who could be jeopardizing what you said, their mental health, their, their me time, and just their peace of mind by falling into this treacherous trap of overachieving. Is there a way out of it, do you think? Or is there a way to control it? Mm -hmm. I think a couple of things. One is to be constantly reflecting. Um, and to make time for that reflection, I feel like if you're doing a hundred things, you have no time to think about, do I like 90 of those things? Um, so intentionally and deliberately carving out time to reflect. And that's why I really like therapy because that's literally someone is holding you accountable to reflect and is holding you accountable to your reflections. Um, so that's, that's a big thing. Just literally sit down and think about, do I like what I'm doing? What is like, is this serving a purpose? And it's it's not as hakuna matata as like I'm I'm making it out. Because sometimes it's like oh, okay, I don't. I yeah. hate I hate everything I'm doing, but I gotta hustle. Like because I have to get into uni, so I have to take like my SAT classes and do this exam and do a hundred things. I gotta hustle. But knowing that that's what you're doing and knowing that that's a short term thing, um, or saying maybe I don't want to go to college or maybe this is not the college I want to go to. If, if this is what I have to do to get in, it's not worth it, you know, like sort of reflecting and saying things like that. Um, and also knowing that whatever deadline you're imposing, uh, whatever deadlines that exist are mostly self-imposed. You yeah. know, like type A people think that like, the world is going to end if you're not like on a 30 under 30 list. Like, oh, yeah. It is not, you know, and if you... Um, and again, that's a big thing that I recently realized, like if you don't get in this year, you don't even have the time to apply this year, you can apply next year. Um, you know, taking time off and knowing that you are on your own timeline, like other people are on their own, taking life at your own pace and saying, defining success for yourself and defining the timeline of success for yourself, which I think is so, so important. Um, some of the, some of my friends who I respect the most that are pretty well adjusted and having a fantastic time at college are people who've taken gap years. Um, whereas even the term gap year was so taboo for me. Like I thought it was weak and, you know, ludicrous to take a gap year. Um, but yeah, kind of reorienting yourself to your own timeline, your own pace, uh, and then just reflecting a lot and thinking about whether you enjoy what you're doing, what you're getting out of what you're doing, what are the costs, what are the benefits, how long is this going to keep going on for? And do you think you're a better person for it now? After all that? Yeah. Yeah. I do. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ashani, for taking the time to join me on the podcast and for this catch-up session that was very insightful. And hopefully 
created some coherence around what it means to be an overachiever and why it isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it may not always be the best thing and how you have to sort of look into yourself and identify what your needs and wants are. And above all, just focus on being happy in what you're doing and knowing that you're doing it for the right reasons. I think that's the most important part. And with that, we end today's episode on the group chat. Join us again in our next episode where we have a special guest who will talk to us about something inspiring and hopefully inspire you in the process. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. We hope to see you again soon. Till then, stay safe.